Hello, everyone. My name is Blair Sinta. Welcome to the Recording Drums Podcast. Today, I'm talking to my friend Zach St. John, who's a great drummer here in L.A. Zach's been working around town for well over a decade. He's a pretty pretty cool story about uh, coming out from Wisconsin, working a lot in Wisconsin before this, uh, being pretty good at tuning drums and things. And the angle he took to get to know people around town was by doing cartage for drum doctors. So he got to know uh, a lot of well-known drummers, set their drums up, uh, got to know engineers, second engineers, producers, studio people, and made his way into the scene by doing uh, that angle, which I think is pretty cool. And he's got a great studio here, which is uh, fairly close to me in town. Uh, He's in Burbank, and he's modeled that studio after Henson, which is one of his favorite studios in town. So he shows us around the studio. We have some cool conversations about his cartage days and how he's working in town these days. I got a new course coming out in about a week. It's called the Snare Sound Bible. All right. If you want to know how to get particular snare drum sounds, if you want to get good at tuning your snares for studio sessions or live sessions, this is going to be a great course. Uh, It goes really in depth on all kinds of sounds. You hear a snare sound on a record. This is going to show you how. All right, so that's going to be out in about a week, and uh, I'm pretty excited about that course. So I've been working hard on it this fall. All right, let's get to the uh, interview with Zach. Uh, well, sweet. So where where is your studio exactly? You're you must be right near me, dude. Yeah, we're pretty close. Uh, I'm probably ten minutes from you. I just live like by the airport in Burbank, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> really close. Yeah. 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 Okay. You've been I in know. there a while, right? You been? Yeah, I've man, I bought this house like two, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. Okay. So right, like when the market kind of took a dip and like. Okay. Uh, I'd always wanted like you know that a detached garage, like you know how you have, and like to convert it and then have like the main house. And at one time we had four dogs, so I wanted a yard and um it's similar to, to to your spot like as far as like kind of layout of everything it's it's like almost a duplicate of of your of your spot okay i didn't but, uh, realize cool. I, I, thought, I thought you had more of a commercial space just because it looks big but i guess you took a different approach with mine so within mine you just kind of left it open that's what yeah it, yeah i mean i think i can kind of walk around for you so you can see it but yeah i basically designed it as knowing like how you have i mean i i always think about you and like oh man i wish i had a control room that was separate like because i'm like you do all the time like you have buds that come over or like when i first met you was when right uh i forget the band um where i, I came over recorded at your place and that's when i first met you right. which was really awesome and i was like oh man he's got a control room and a drum room and all the drums i'm like that's sweet i love it yeah and so when I have people here, it's like I have kind of a spot where like the where either I sit and I'm, you know, controlling engineering and kind of producing or whatever. Okay. Um, but I'm like right in the room and we just, you know, we're headphones for everything. Right. Um, that's the only downside. But usually, you know, it's we're in our rooms and working and like right below me here where you can't see mm-hmm. it is like two racks of gear, you know, monitor. And I just kind of sit here and I'm able to reach everything and it makes it fast for recording too, like just trying to get lots of things done. I can be tweaking levels and, and tweaking, you know, compression and things like that. It's just for me, it works really well versus having like a separate control room most of the time, you know? So I'm curious. Um, I, I talked to uh, Mario Caleri and he has a similar setup to you is where he just has this rack right next to him. When you listen mm-hmm. back for sounds, are you, are you switching to monitors and pulling headphones off? Is that how you do it? Well, good questions. So, um, yeah, I've got monitors. I'll show you, pick okay. you up so we don't rock the boat too much. But I don't know if you can see the monitors, okay. right? Like right there behind cool. the symbols. And then, so I'm when I'm just listening to playback and seeing how it sounds just through speakers, that works. And then versus headphones, um, UE uh, makes these, you know, normal in ears that we all use live um but they're the 
they're made with capital the reference monitors so as far as like getting a really true you know clear um sound for hearing this with isolation these work really well for everything else when i'm recording in here you know versus yeah. typical headphones so do you find that's kind of an interesting thing i haven't thought about so do you find wearing ears when you're actually playing you're dialing in tones but playing that it's right. similar to when you stop playing like because you're not really getting bleed so much yeah oh yeah i mean i i can dial everything in almost you know exactly there's it's very true to what what's in the room through the in-ears these in particular where there's not you can get some with like four five ten drivers these days i don't even know um where these are just very true like if you put your ear up to like a drum up front like basically what i'm always thinking about when i was when there's a microphone up it's the same thing where there's not a lot of you know of fog to it or, or misrepresentation maybe maybe i gotta try it i I never have really been into the in-ear thing in a, in the studio just because the on and off thing, like right. I hate taking in-ears in and out, but the idea of that is, is really interesting to me just as far as like mix. I mean, I have to run back and forth regardless, which is partly why I have to yeah. on and off. But for that situation, that seems to make perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I just, I started doing it in when I'm like not in here when I'm in a, whatever studio around town right. i just i love it now i bring these with me everywhere okay. and then i have like several ones that i use for for live gigs and whatnot okay. plus when you put headphones on you can't this gets messed up sometimes too you know and hey you know there, there are important things you know especially living in la you know yeah i mean you never know who's gonna walk in yeah 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 you're walking around <laughs> and then your hair's all screwed up you may not get the next right day, right yeah Right, yeah. <laughs> Taylor Swift judges her drummers by how good the hair looks. You know, that's what I hear. I mean, no, no, no disrespect, of course, right? Yeah. No, no disrespect. Yeah. No. <laughs> I wouldn't get that gig because my that's hair, awesome. no, my hair just sucks. You know, my hair just. It, you you know. got the perfect hair. That's well, no, that's why you get all these huge gigs. You got yeah, that look yeah. where you can be. I mean, you know, hard rock vibey you got then you got like the pop thing you can do it that's it that's why i wish i i like mine sometimes i'm just like they're like oh zach looks like a hard rock dude i'm like no man i can jazz it no <laughs> i think mine's actually best when i shave most of it off but i keep going i i you should have dude have hair while you have hair you know what i mean like you can shave yeah. it later in life yeah yeah <laughs> i uh i know that's <laughs> <laughs> that's totally that's true like i don't i can't remember when i met you uh well I, I used to have like long hair i had like the whole long hair drummer thing and up to me i mean i didn't like it at all it was upkeep it was always in my face like it looked cool but i, I once i kind of passed that age where like all my cousins had lost their hair because like baldness runs on your mom's side of the family right like after I passed the threshold, I was like, all right, got dad's hair gene. We're going to cut it down and make, make life a little bit easier. Yeah, man. You know, some of the things I've learned doing this podcast are astounding. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, that's some important stuff, you know, you know, I mean, these are life lessons. We're talking about life here, man. It's not just recording drums. It's about life, you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah right. I mean, yeah. When I, then, we, then I look at like videos and pictures of like Vinny playing like in studios or Picaro and like glasses and picking their nose and just, you know, all that stuff. It's like, oh, right. wait, am I doing it wrong? I think I'm doing it wrong. I should look <laughs> like that. <laughs> oh, that's that's a great sweatpants. That's, that's a great uh, run, runway to my next question, because when we met, like it was probably over 10 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um you I you were still doing some cartage. Uh yeah. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what you moved to town to do, which I thought was a kind of a unique angle. You didn't move to town to do it. That was what you did for work when you first moved to town. Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, I moved from Wisconsin and like didn't know anybody. Just right. dove in, like, you know, like some guys like they'll they'll kind of have 
connections from school, wherever they went to school, or they've got friends here from other bands that moved to town or whatever it is. Me, it was it was very intimidating. I mean, I always wanted to come here. Like mm-hmm. even like growing up, I felt like anxiety because I'm like, oh, I'm not in L.A. yet. I, like, I, <laughs> I knew I wanted to go here. So there was no question I was moving. Right. Um, but yeah. And then I was like, man, I kind of had fallen into kind of the session thing in Wisconsin and um, it was fun. I kind of had an innate ability to tune drums and kind of understood the whole engineering thing with it. And so I knew what I wanted to do in LA and I, and I wanted to play live too. Pause. What's that? Pause. <laughs> so what were you, how did that happen? How were you working in Wisconsin? Like, was it all in Milwaukee, or Madison? Where, where were you? Oh, good question. Uh, I was, I'm from Green Bay. Oh, geez. and which is, you yeah, were, right you, were killing, you were killing the studio scene in Green Bay. <laughs> wow, well, all kind of, I mean, really, the studio scene is just Wisconsin. Like, you don't, you have to kind of travel, which is, it's a smaller state, but uh, <laughs> killing the studio scene. Uh, <laughs> my dad was a guitar player, session and live. So okay. he was kind of my, I was, I mean, I started playing with him when I was like, like, honestly, like two or three years old, I was on stage playing drums. Um, and so he was kind of my route into meeting people. And I was the young kid playing with all the older bands, that kind of thing. And yeah, so there's not much of a studio scene. Madison has a couple of good spots. Uh, Butch Vig Studios in Madison, or was in Madison. Right. I'm sure it is still. Right. Appleton, Wisconsin, which I'm sure you've played before. They have a couple of good studios in Milwaukee, of course. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And yeah. So because of your dad, you met guys when you were young and you just you just started doing it yeah man it was that thing of like i was just playing as much as i could and got out and met people and then when i went to college in wisconsin it was the same thing i moved in the city just started meeting as many people whether they went to school with me or whether they were bands around town that i was going to see that you know needed a drummer and so that was it too and then that kind of took me into the twin cities while i was in college so i was doing things in the twin cities and stuff and Okay. Um, there, there's a funny story to me being in the Twin Cities and one of the drummers I met there that tried, to, it was good advice at the time. It's a whole separate story. I don't know. Should I, should I veer off on a tangent about yeah, this? Sure. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I was maybe a sophomore, junior in college and there was this band, uh, Catch Penny was the name. That was okay. I'm crazy. I remember that. And their producer who I had met and was going to see in Minneapolis, Michael Bland, who was, I don't know if you know who that is, but Prince's drummer. And, uh, you know, I, he plays with Soul Asylum, I think still. Um, but I mean, legendary drummer, especially in the Midwest, like feel pocket, like playing to the song. Ridiculous. He's in that category with like, you know, Charlie and Ringo, in my opinion, like he's that guy, like as far as like gets it. Right. Um, and there was a place called Bunkers where he played every Monday night and like Prince would come there and like all these other like heavy, heavy players. So we we drive from Wisconsin over the border, border and go see these guys play. And I met him and was, hey, you should come audition for this band. They're going to do an album. They're going to like tour. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's Michael Bland just asked me to do this. So I learned like four songs and um, went over there and. It was funny. I, I was expecting. This is gonna sound like I'm not really not a dick, but I was like, I'm gonna get this gig. It's no problem. This is for me. It's a rock gig. It's, uh, right. it's, come on. I knew who the other guys were auditioning. Right. <laughs> and uh, it's like I got this. And uh, went and played it. Went great. Like everything was good. The the guys loved it. And uh, I got back to Wisconsin like a day later. I hadn't heard, and I was like, okay. So I I I called Michael. And he's like, yeah, man, no, it's just, uh, yeah, it's not going to work out. And I go, oh, really? Oh, okay. So he's like, yeah, not just the band. Like you should, you should just probably stop drumming. You should probably not do this for, for like a living. I went, <laughs> it just, it was that moment of like crushed me. Whoa. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you know, you gotta like pick a genre. Like I could tell you like playing all different genres and like, you just need to like be like, like a rock and roll guy or you need to be a pop guy or like a jazz guy or blues guy. I'm like, Oh, I kind of like playing everything. He goes, yeah. 
nah, you should just kind of give up on it. But do you like it? You'd like doing anything else? I was like, no, sorry. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bland. Uh, and like, just, I didn't play for like two weeks and just crushed me. Yeah. So, well, that's, and I didn't listen to him. I'm, yeah, no, it was, I didn't listen to him because that's what I do still. Yeah. Just like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, so I mean, that's, I yeah, mean, it was a, it was a weird, weird moment. And I mean, I, I, I still love Michael Bland. It didn't affect my feeling, but I think he's an amazing drummer and, right. and producer and musician. So, right. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I never liked that kind of advice. Funny story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, he was he was really trying to help me. He really believed what he told me was for my my well being. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so so anyway. you were working like a decent amount like throughout Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, between live gigs and recording and you know teaching and um. Um, and, and, uh, I worked at a music store there and that's kind of the, the segue to coming out here. When I worked at the music store in Green Bay, um, whenever, like we did clinics, like we did drum clinics, we were, we brought in drummers, like the drone department was the place to go to in all of like Northeast Wisconsin. So sure. I kind of was assistant or ran the drone department with, uh, with the other guy there and we'd bring in these drummers and there would be like, you know, Kenny Arnoff and uh, Mike Mangini and Todd Zuckerman and like all these guys were coming through. So not only did I get to meet them and like learn from them and kind of see how they did things, but I was the guy that like set up the kits and unboxed the things from whatever company they were with and tuned the drums up and was like their guy, which um, at the time I didn't really realize what, you know, what was happening, but, Right. It was fun. I'm just such a, I mean, I've got drums everywhere and I, I love everything about drums and what they're made of and how they tune up and why they tune up a certain way and what heads. So kind of was already in training for that. And I love doing it. Didn't bother me at all. You know, like some guys get bummed out or there's a stigma to being like a drum tech, which I, I don't know. I, I don't really get it, but some, some guys have that. Mm -hmm. So when I moved out to LA, a friend of mine, from wisconsin was like hey you should call up uh he sent me a list he's like he knew of it was drum paradise uh sir and drum doctors he's like just contact them like they they work with like in particular drum paradise and drum doctors he's like those are the two that kind of like work with the session drummers that's in the world that you want to be in mm -hmm. so that's what i did like uh i I moved here. I was working at Sam Ash out in the Valley, uh, like off DeSoto, like it was cool because like being in the, the drum department there, like Taylor Hawkins came in all the time and like other drummers that lived out in that part of town. Mm -hmm. So it was cool. And I kind of started to meet people doing that. And then out of all the resumes and like things, I was going out to meet people. Ross from drum doctors, uh, called me. He goes, Hey, can you come down today? I want, I want to meet you. It sounds like, you know, we might have an opening. So I went down, met Ross and, um, basically on the spot, he just asked me questions like, Oh, so you, you know, tune drums. I go, yeah. He's like, can you drive like a van? And like, can, can you like lift cases and stuff? I'm like, yeah, I love, love drums. And, and he's like, so, but you like, you're working on the side. So this doesn't have to be your main income. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm still, you know, doing all the things. And by then I was playing a little bit yep. and that's all it came to be. So I kind of was, I was at drum doctors and which was amazing because Abe Laboreal Jr. Who was to this day, one of my favorite drummers of all time and biggest influences was one of the guys there. Josh Freeze has been there forever. Same thing with Josh. And then Jim Keltner, who was like, I mean, when I got to meet Jim for the first time, it was Right. legendary to me it was it was surreal so like and there, you know there's there maybe five or ten other drummers that have, you know have been there or still there but those are the three who are like oh, wait i get to like meet these guys and like bring stuff in the studio and then see them work and be in the room and like i mean to, to honestly it's the most invaluable or valuable like things i've ever had to do was because of drum doctors and being in those scenarios 
not just with like the drummers, mm-hmm. those three in particular who are, you know, super influential to me and kind of represent my playing mm-hmm. in different aspects. Just the engineers and the producers and just seeing the setup of just the vibe of how to talk to people and you know, everything that like, you know, you're amazing at. It was that thing where like I was learning it and seeing it in action and just the way they would play in certain parts and even the way they were, you know, would try to guide things or everything, you know what I mean? It was so cool to see that. And, uh, and just over the years, I learned so much being a part of it. So like a little bit of like, you know, having to get to a studio at eight in the morning or nine in the morning, set up the kit and then, you know, tune it up for, for those guys. It was, it was amazing. Really. Yeah. So you got to learn like Abe and Josh and, and Jim, Jim's, set up kind of and and you kind of yeah 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 and i mean was it like that's obviously super interesting was it was it always different with with keltner or was it like you know like who knows what's gonna happen with keltner this time or or was it was it oh yeah yeah okay i mean it was funny like we'd show up uh and like the engineer would come up and just be like what is that he's going to use that like he's going to play on that what is he he's how what and like you know it's crazy like if if you've ever looked up a keltner setup or seen him play like it's, it's wacky stuff but it works when he plays it and like i've seen him play really like hard and really soft like he's it's not like he's got a thing and he's got so many toys and like it's about playing with different sticks and sounds and like his feel and how he approaches it like it's i mean so cool so cool to see that in in person and like just have him vibe and you know um control the room like when he shows up it's jim keltner i'm I'm, when he's around elton john it's still like jim keltner is here oh wow you know or whatever so it was it was really cool getting to see that and what what could you take away from keltner i mean keltner is so unique like so unique that he's allowed to be himself right where you know, younger guys like us, we're, we're, we're almost there to play a role as like, okay, drummer, you know, of course they want your creativity and your input, but when you hire Keltner, you're really hiring Keltner to be Keltner and do Keltner. What do you think you just from, you know, not only setting him up, but, or, or, and I'm assuming you were able to hang out and watch a handful of sessions or whatever, like what, what did you, what could you take from that? you know, that's, you know, his, his total uniqueness that you're like, well, I could, I could maybe, you know, steal some of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's very, like, he's very modest. Like he is, he is like, like less is more with him. You know what I mean? Like his use of space and just like watching him listen to a song and just kind of be like, okay, cool. And like, like I can just see him processing it and seeing him play it, the space and the parts that he lets. And it's kind of like how like Charlie Watts. I think a great example are, are him and Charlie. Like the placement of things, like even hi hat hits, where it's not like a consistent eighth note or sixteenth note thing. Like it, it's just crazy to see the orchestration within the drum kit, you know. Which I, I was attribute that to, to Charlie as well with the way he played and like he kind of was the stones for me, the way he played, you know, and, and Jim's the same way whenever he's playing on an album, it's like, okay, they're doing this. So I got to lay off on this, or I'm going to be, you know, maybe there's not even, you know, no downbeat going in the chorus on beat one, because there's a, you know, a strum on, you know, the guitar players doing something cool. So it was all things like that of just less is more. And then seeing like, even like being behind, the pro tool screen and like seeing where he's placing things of like being behind the beat or like being in front of the beat, rushing things or like a fill to give it excitement. We're like sometimes like coming in, maybe you wouldn't know you're like, Oh, I got to like lay back on every, every fill going in and be like on the grid exactly or whatever, you know, miss, you know, conception somebody might have. And it was, it was just great watching him do all of that and be like this, like just, composing his his instrument not just drums but like it was this whole you know painting not to be too you know artsy with it but it was it was really something to take away you know right and do you feel like 
obviously that stays with you in a in a in a in a memory sense but do you feel like you've been able to take those lessons and kind of incorporate it into your into your absolutely yeah yeah i mean it was just being aware of it so once i was aware of it like it was like okay and like it was just it's great being able to have you know a studio at home right i've been building it up over the years but it was great to just see you know looking and zooming in and just seeing where i was placing things about how i felt and like what i was trying to do and then you start to learn that okay those slight adjustments and just you know but hard i don't know how to describe groove but like just laying back that little bit and where where it moves your you know hit on on the grid line where, where your wave is and just seeing that and like okay that's what it feels like or this what this is what i should be listening for for the click or the like people I'm playing with. So it was really something I practice every day. And, you know, it was something that I'm always paying attention to. Like I'm literally thinking about when I'm playing about, okay, I have to, I'm feeling it. And it doesn't come naturally to me. I have to really work at it. Like I'm sure it comes naturally to, to a lot of people, but for me, it's something I have to work at, you know, and be mentally uh, thinking about. So. I think, I think the important thing that you're, kind of pointing out here though is that you especially at a young age were became perceptive of not having to play on the grid but where to play around the grid which is a pretty amazing concept to be introduced to you know in your 20s right like yeah because yeah i i I think that most younger drummers uh i mean definitely me i was like holy shit i have to be on the grid like right that i right. learned how to play perfectly on the grid and and it's you know I, I have obviously come to realize over a long period of time it's not about that you know it's like yeah can you play with the grid exactly. of course but how can you manipulate the grid um so to actually see it from keltner but then you know not really like it sounds like what you're saying is like you that's not something you were ever worried about it's like okay where is it going to be around it yeah no exactly and i think the one interesting thing that i i realized over the last even five years was so i if you look into the room i have like there's a, a couch in the back of the room with like headphones and sometimes i'm recording with players here but really it's to have when i have clients over you know, either the artist producer whoever's in the room with me here they sit down and whatever and it, it was something where i could tell like sometimes when like guys really knew what they were talking about or girls um they'd be like oh that, that that's weird to me um because they're sitting in the room and it is you know when you're in a live drum room it's, it's loud so it's kind of hard to hear everything that's going on unless you have like my in-ears and usually they just have cans on and they're like, oh, what you you look kind of like you're not playing like rigidly, you know, or whatever word they want to use. I'm like, oh yeah, but don't watch me because I'm I'm my movements don't match maybe what you're interpreting it to sound like. And that was something that I I caught with Jim too. I'm like, oh wait, here, don't watch me this take. Just listen to the music and when I'm playing. And like, oh, that's how oh, that's crazy. So like, I'm I'm really. <laughs> with social media i'm really hesitant to post anything of me playing in like a studio setting because without the music reference that i'm playing to sometimes it sounds herky like herky jerky or jerky or uneven or not in time but it's because i realize oh yeah well without the music there it does sound like maybe that fill is a little bit laid back or too rushed or maybe the way i'm playing to the bass the group like kick snare hat thing maybe it sounds a little weird because we're missing components uh with that so that was an interesting thing that happened that i usually explain to people i'm like listen you're gonna watch me and it's gonna look maybe weird but once we listen back you'll kind of see how everything you know kind of connects uh i mean what a weird concept that like <laughs> with the music listening it doesn't sound right <laughs> yeah you know right it was a, but i'm like oh yeah because when you're in like a big studio everybody's in the control room listening so they're yeah. not necessarily just going out for movements. Well, and not only that, it's like the idea of, I mean, people don't really listen to solo drums in a studio unless you're getting sounds. Right. Even right. if you're in a studio just to get drums, there is music happening. So it's in the context of music. 
So, yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, that's an exact thing that I struggled with for a while. I was like, oh God, when I listen to myself back, it kind of sounds shitty. Like the kick drums ahead or the something is not quite lining up in a quote unquote great drum way. But in the right, music, right. But I know that when I put the music in, it's, it's great. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's it's just a yeah. Okay, good. I mean, I, sometimes I sit here. I don't. It's probably just me, but I'm like, I don't think anybody else has these problems. Do people have these things that they think about? Am I worrying about stuff that nobody else does? Yeah. No. That's. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know I mean? that's the thing. It's like if you if you have a kick drum that's sitting on top and a snare that's laying behind or whatever. The the point is that's fitting in with the tune somehow, right? Look, let's put it this way: yeah. if you ever you know, had the opportunity or if anyone ever had the opportunity to solo Charlie Watts drums or Levon Helms drums or any, like just go down the list, right. Of fucking yeah. drummers in history. A lot of times, if you just soloed them, you'd be like, wow, I wouldn't use that thing. You know what I mean? But that's totally. not the point. You know, that's not the point. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, and like, getting to that it's it's all about like like for drums like start of the song like there's only a few seconds to set up when you're playing something especially like in a studio vibe like the beat has to be right so if you're you know charting and like you're making your your notes for the you know for whatever it is like gotta kind of have the right beat laid out that fits the style time as far as like what we're talking about of where we're placing everything and then it's the feel on top of it so those three things are basically once you know you hear the the click come in you have a few seconds once you start playing to set that up for the rest of the song yeah. so i'm like that's just something that i'm always very aware of along with like where i'm placing everything is that is that time and feel yeah through the whole you know it's for me it takes a lot of focus of just intent focus for that three and a half, four minutes of just making sure that I'm moving through the parts. Yeah. Which is all stuff I learned. And I mean, Abe, Abe Jr. And, and Josh have the same thing, you know, where uh, not as, not as fluid as, as Jim is. And, but in their own ways, like Abe, especially like Abe is um, like amazing. Like he kind of gets typecast a little bit like, cause he big drums and like, kind of rock guy and boombastic and i mean that is his thing but he can play right every style fantastically and he's so consistent we're like it's amazing seeing him do it too in that way you know harder and bigger and and more you know more him you know yeah more him exactly yeah which so it's great seeing the, the same thing just in different players you know and and both guys have that connection to picaro mm -hmm. where you know they jim was one of you know that jim and jeff were best friends and like abe came up under under jeff and like so he got to go and be there for things and uh right. it's cool the way that they kind of took things from jeff who i mean yeah to me is lineage is still you know the goat you know what i mean as far as like what we're doing i think i listened to his stuff and i'm still I'm blown away by the little things he did, you know? Right. What, um, so, so, so just to move forward, I'm assuming you built obviously a lot of relationships with engineers and producers through Cartage too, just hanging out, seeing these guys multiple times, getting to know them personally. Yeah. I'm guessing you yeah. were checking, checking, getting sounds here and there, or at least levels. Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Really, it started with like you got to meet the runners, the the assistants, the second engineers and engineers, and like it it because I knew that what I wanted to do, and like so really it wasn't even like before even the guy the drummer got there was building a relationship with them, and I I mean I went to business school, so I was very purposeful for, it and I I was aware of making those connections, right? I mean that sounds a little jive, but to be honest, I think we all have to have that business aspect and uh, what we do. And so I would build those relationships and eventually, yeah, this seconds turn into the engineers, which turned into like doing these big things. And like, that's 
that was kind of part of the plan was I would meet those people who I'd come up with over 10 years. And then now to this day, like, you know, especially during COVID, it was like, they would just be calling me and I had the studio set up and it was these relationships that I had harbored over all that time and all those different studios around town getting to see, you know, every spot and, and uh, yeah. And all my biggest credits are come from that side of things and just accidentally via, you know, whatever drum doctor connection I had made. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Did you, did you ever actually sit with, with Ross and work on tuning or, or talk about that or anything like that? <laughs> I get asked that question a lot. Uh, Do you? Wow. Yeah. I mean, no, I, again, I mean, not to toot my own horn. I kind of always had a pretty good, like just natural sense of a drum and, and how it all worked. Um, and, and, and just to clarify, watch. I'm not asking, did he teach you how to tune drums? I'm talking right. about Ross is very particular. Right. Because he, he, he did something for me like six months ago. And, you know, I watched, I listened to him go in and tune up second floor, Tom, just a little lower. And I went, oh, shit. And when I got home back into my room, my ears were like a little more open. And I was like, oh, man, there was a little you know, quarter tone thing that he heard that connected with me. I was like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta get even more on my game on tuning because I heard that, you know what I mean? And when he locked yeah. in, I was like, Oh damn, you know what I mean? So kind of, that's what I mean. More like really minute things, not, not this general, like, Hey, do no. you tune drums? No, exactly. I mean, that, that's exactly what it's been like for me with Ross was like, I came in and, I like I said, I kind of knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, and and he heard that he, he kind of had me sit down to the drum. He's like, okay, cool. But it was never like, so this is how you tune drums for <laughs> to, to work at drum doctors. It was never that at all. It was it like he really is brilliant. And he he had the same mentality as I did, like getting back to the you can watch hundreds of videos on YouTube like this is how you tune a drum and, doo -doo -doo -doo, and doo -doo -doo. okay you go to blah 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 and there's a certain like bear you know variance between the top head bottom head and in this type of shell with the edge or whatever um and i always came down to like no it's how you're hitting it what the room is what you know well, what kind of heads and the edge of the drum and what what the drum is made of like it all has a lot to do with it but it was it was a much much more less polished take that i had on it and that's exactly what he is it's not like a oh hey i'm this is like i'm gonna go through and there's two moon gels on this drum so there's two moon, moon gels on this drum it's it's a very loose yeah. in the moment kind of thing um and I, that's the magic behind it it's it's a there's no way to copy or duplicate it it was just something where like over the years of being watching him it was just something that i learned too and there was no sit down. It was just like, okay, this it's, I just, you know, it's just reference. It was like seeing that, hearing it, just like you did with that floor Tom. It's like, okay. And he understands the connection between drum to microphone to preamp or compressor, whatever the chain is. Like he understands that with the drummer playing it and, and how it responds. So he knows that even it's that kind of thing, like sitting in the room, watching a, a drummer play that maybe looks discombobulated. The drum might sound weird to you to your ear but like he's got that sense of like hitting it okay it's going to do this on the other end to make the producer or artist whoever the client is happy so that's that's probably what i learned the most is like yeah it's not polished there's no specific way to do it all the time i mean there's been instances where like and even for me like well the the head's wrinkled here maybe on the bottom side or maybe it doesn't look even it sounds great that sounds does, because that drum maybe the edge isn't exactly right or maybe it has to be that way for the sound the way maybe there's a piece of gap tape in the right spot or wrong spot yeah yeah the, yeah the edge is screwed up so the head has to be screwed up to match the edge or whatever yeah 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 so, so. okay that that's a, and you, so you were building your studio while you were doing cartage stuff too yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean so it was all kind I of moved here it's all going kind of simultaneously cartage oh yeah building your own thing obviously playing out yeah yeah it was all again like i knew like my dad being a musician and like knowing the crazy world and 
trying to make money doing this and, and how do you make a like how do you sustain an income and buy a house and you know buy cars and everything go on vacations while you're a musician so it's like okay i knew going in that you gotta you know gotta play live gigs obviously you know touring is important but like for me i knew i could be at home and make money being a session drummer and i was you know pretty good at it teaching i i teach as much as i can and like you know and then i came down to like with 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 like teching and and doing that end of things i always had that going on and and so it was just a bunch of pieces of the puzzle that that made it work so i i could do what i do you know some guys can just they can just be touring drummer i've just never had that for me i've always been in a bunch of different things so right right um how about, how about engineer wise back in those days like were you were you hanging out in the, in the control room watching were you sometimes asking was there a particular mentor engineer mentor that you kind of gravitated with to or 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 became homies with oh man there were there's so many um some of the faves uh and somebody who I currently work with, Greg Fiddleman. Uh, do you know who Greg Fiddleman is? Um, kind of came up under Rick Rubin and yeah. like through that right. that camp. Right. Uh, Greg is so precise, and he he like he really appreciates like especially drums. I mean, every instrument. He's he's great with like. I want this to sound this way. It's like he's very good with like being consistent and. So I'm learning a lot from him of just his precise nature and and how to develop a specific sound for a specific band. Um, mm. I was just on a project with him during COVID, like it was like four or five months. We were working on an album together, um, and it just it was it's crazy. He's a mad scientist. Like mm. uh, he he got when I first met him, he had done the Adele 21 album was kind of where I first met him. And that was a, that was a drum doctor gig. We were, we supplied the drums and uh, Chris Dave played on that out here. They were at Rick Rubin's place in Malibu called Shangri-La. Yep. So Greg was doing that. And that's when I first kind of met him and, and saw him doing stuff. And um, so he's great. Uh, man, uh, Al Schmidt was one too, like getting to do wow. stuff with him. Okay. I got the, yeah. I mean, I never got again, like just yeah, brilliant. I I had like for me, I I wasn't lucky enough to be on a session playing at Capitol for him or wherever. But uh, we did a it was a sample library where it was the Al Schmidt like Capitol sample library with um um forgetting the company name right now, completely blanking. But anyway, that sample library we did and like working with him and. It was that thing we, you know, we'd set up the kit and I would tune it and he'd come out and put the mics, move them slightly from where the, you know, the assistant would put them up. And it was just like, man, that's just crazy. Mad scientist again, just wow. brilliant, brilliant engineer. And then with a guy like Greg, will he come over to your room sometimes and, and, and work with your gear or? No, Greg has never done that. He's always uh, he's at other studios. He's got his spots um, that he works at, and uh, he's got a he's got his own home studio as well okay. that he works out of. So yeah, right. Okay. Uh, do you, how often do you have engineers over, and you let them, you know, twiddle your knobs? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe a couple times a month, I guess. Yeah, you know, I, I have no problem with it. I have no problem. Yeah. I'm, it's always, I'm trying, I learn all the time. I, yeah, I learn stuff from everybody that comes in here. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, it, it's, it's fun, rare, you know, it's rare that I have a real engineer here and I, I always love it. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm just guessing, I'm just, I'm just, you know, picking your brain for, for like, you know, who is, are there particular guys that like to come over and work in your room? Or is it yeah, more, uh, Zach, just do your thing. Like they're like they're cool. Just so most of the time, it's like they're coming in. They want to see how I place mics and how what my settings are and like how I have things around my room to you know to to record what they want. I mean, and then they'll kind of tweak it for their depending. But right. I mean, really, it's they come in and they're kind of seeing what what I have done. Um, you know, I'm I have like. 
four or five guys that come in consistently that are good friends and clients. And, okay. you know, now we just kind of have a process set up and I know what they want. They know how things are going to be. And right. it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah. We, we kind of learn from each other all the time. Right. So your room is pretty open, I'm guessing open sounding that is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there's ways to tighten it up, but I, I kind of designed it. Everything has a purpose in here, like the way the angles are. And it's, it's not a perfectly rectangle room. Um, and probably the one weird thing that mostly every other drummer in LA that I know has in their rooms is they have to completely soundproof their drum room. And for me, one of my favorite drum rooms in LA is Henson B and they have that like ceiling where it's, it's a tall ceiling beams and the whole, the, like it's a, a, a pitch. So I was like, Oh wait, my garage has this same thing, like even the same material cement floors. And I, I built like a wood platform on top of it to enhance some of the uh, low end that I wanted to get, mm -hmm. but I kind of copied Henson B for my drum room and Luckily, my neighbors are incredibly, amazingly cool because you can hear me playing. It's not very loud, but you can still hear me playing. Um, so, yeah, it's okay. uh, do you have, do you different have a, in that way. you have a time agreement with them as far as evening cutoff? I, uh, in, in my old age, in my, <laughs> now I'm turning to, you know, gray hair, Billy Goat. Uh-huh. Uh, I try, I mean, usually my day is set up where like, I, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I think girls like it. Right. I'm way yeah. ahead of you, man. The wife, the wife's like it. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Not worried you know, about I, it. Uh, I try to keep, no, I, I think it looks good, man. We, we both look, look at us. Just yeah. this salt and pepper look. George Clooney's worked it for years. Why, why can't we dude? <laughs> I mean, I always think me and George Clooney, we're kind of, you know, we're, you know, it's, you know. It's yeah, kind of, that's kind of what I get. Yeah, yeah. That's good, yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, I don't, well, that was, oh. should, I, should I pour another martini? Wait, no, nobody knows about what we were talking about. We were texting. Now they was, know, uh, now they know. Yeah. yeah, so I asked you about dress code and then you made a, I was like, should I dress up, uh, should I dress up all uh, yeah. fancy? And you're like, well, no, I think, have martini so I'm, there you go right you, oh, i'm gonna pound this martini one second you had your you had all your olives already though right yeah yeah all olives. yeah it's good yeah. cool yeah. getting hammered on the on Blair's I, podcast all right I think, I think the last few times i did a podcast i actually had some wine because i did it at night but it's it's too early right now so <laughs> yeah it's too early yeah no that's uh <laughs> uh anyway so i tried to keep Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I tried to keep kind of regular hours for the neighbors, but really like depending on uh, any given day, like kind of be done with what I'm doing at home sessions and, and teaching by around six or seven, because I try to schedule rehearsals and, and usually gigs are later on at night. Right. So I try to pack as much as I can in every day. So for me, having that consistent schedule and like being able to go inside with Kim and, and have, you know, a dinner, be able to do that. It's important to, you know, right. kind of just have a schedule for me. I mean, sometimes things go late, but usually I, I can be, you know, consistent and have everybody in earlier and out so that it just has, you know, a more regular kind of life when right. I'm at least here in town. So, right. Did you, so did you build gobos yeah. to, to help dry up anything in there? Or you just kind of roll with, you just turn the room mics off and that's your dry sound? <laughs> I mean, I've got some gobos I can bring in. Um, yeah. But really the the room is, should I walk around? I don't know if you can see if I walk around. Yeah, for anybody that watches yeah, on YouTube can see it, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, so like where I am, so behind me, this is the, this is actually the, the garage door where the garage door was or is. Wow. And uh, so that's where my back is. And that opens out to the room. Okay. You can see, hold on. My finger's right over the, the camera. I'm so bad at this. I can see so it. So that's the room behind me, right? Yep. So and I've got, I put, you know, sound treatments on the walls and the walls are, are super, super soundproof as is the door. Okay. Um, so like sound doesn't get out that way, but if you look up, 
Yep. Like the ceiling is is like open. That's a pitched ceiling. Again, kind of similar to the to the yeah. Henson B vibe and the oh, show and tell. This is my finally I ordered this kit back in May from DW. Um, it's eventually going to get shipped to the UK for the Blackstar Riders, but okay. I've got it set up because I've been playing it. And it's a the Santa Monica shells are insane. If you haven't played them, they're my favorite um, yep. DW drums at the moment. So anyway, that's that kit. Cool. But yeah, so then this is kind of that producer area where the engineer clients will come sit and, you know, all the drums around it. So with the drums in cases, it kind of provides a lot of uh, sound absorption. Yeah. Um, so I never need bass tracks or any. It's kind of just worked out that because I have things in here, um, it's, I don't really need, I, yeah, I don't really use baffles or goes like, it's just all about using mics and certain mics like close mics versus the room mics and like they're mounted. I, I have them like kind of set up like here are these. This is this 251. Oh, yeah. You see it here. But I have it like mounted to the shelves. Is so that a real no stands 251? on the floor? So... No, I, I wish. No, uh, this is the Warm Audio 251. I was going to say, damn. <laughs> I wish. No, no, not. It's. On my it's on my on my wish list but uh which it's great they're they're really awesome they're we we a beat them with my friend eris has yeah. the most amazing private studio here in la he's got two real 251s um and you know they're they're close they're close yeah, yeah. and then back here this is like the uh this is the symbol room nice. so i have beautiful way too many symbols some more drums Love it. behind me this is percussion Love it. And uh, <laughs> I watched the. Uh, or your you know, talking with, with, with Jake. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's uh, it's funny. I was like, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to learn, tablet, <laughs> right. but I still, I play them like Congas too. Like they have a sound, but yeah, it's not really, I don't know how to play them. It's on my list. <laughs> I'm working on, yeah. I'm working on Pandero right now. Oh, yeah. I, that's, I've, it's I'm really getting bad. better, but uh, yeah, it's really bad. Still. By no yeah. means, yeah. <laughs> oh wow, look at right. That. Yeah. <laughs> so this is my like uh, parts room, like drum heads, okay. tools, like extra storage, like cases, and okay, more drum heads. I have Remo has treated me well. Yeah. So that's kind of the kind what? of the gist, and then. What's a cool, do you have a cool, unique mic that's kind of a go-to, something that's different than, you know, your average 414 or something like that? Anything anything you're hiding in there? I do. I've got, and you're going to ask me this. Uh, ah, yeah. Hopefully I get the model number right. Right. So I do, I do. Um, primarily the, and this, this is newer to me even. Hold on, let me put it down so I'm not obscuring everything so uh it's new ish to me and now i swear by it I, I i don't i won't think i'll i'll ever use anything else so the kick drum i've always kind of gone between everything that people use whether it's a a, a d112 a d12 beta 52 you know audix has uh i forgot what the audix one is um or like just a 421 or the RE20, like those are kind of all mics that I think people know to for the, for the kick drum. And it's never been exactly what I wanted. And um, we're talking about the kick in mic in particular. I've, I found uh, this company called SE Electronics. Have you heard of SE? Every, right, okay. Everybody, um, I know where you're going with this. Everybody seems to love this mic. The the, the V kick, I, I put it in like not really, I was gonna be, Okay, I'm gonna use this mic live, probably. I put it, it's in in conjunction with the with the FET on the front and then the sub kick. I always record all three mics, no matter what style. It is on the bass drum, whether there's a port in it or whether it's jazz and there's just two resonant heads. I always record all three mics and I send them off to the client. Um, and that way they can kind of mix the kick drum to be whatever they want. But it wasn't until I got the V kick where it was exactly how, in my mind, a kick drum should always uh, sound with the kick in mic. From the attack of the beater 
the way it just enhanced the sound of the drum itself. Okay. And there was it wasn't too much low end like a 52 tens they have, and there wasn't the the the, the peaks and the tra- transient left like sometimes like the like a 421 or whatever mic on that spectrum tends to have. And again, with just by itself, it's great, but with the the fat up front and that my sub kick, I can blend the kick drum to just be and anybody can blend it to be exactly the way they want in a mix to be small or big, you know? Um, So that's, that's the first thing that I swear by. The second one is on the snare. And this is something that uh, uh, I learned from my friend, uh, Dennis Leaflang. He's another guy in town, fantastic, brilliant drummer and and engineer. Um, He had, he had made a post, I think. And then I talked to him about it. It's the, uh, the bear dynamic. uh, uh, It's the, m201 and the m88 which are both hypercardioid and individually they're both not awesome but when you put when you line up the you know the diaphragms on the snare and i run them through like a little combiner box so it only takes up one preamp channel i combine them and it it has the full eq spectrum that i want to have from the top snare mics and so i blend them together amazing so again that's the bare dynamic the m201 and the md88 together are amazing and then i use the sennheiser 441 underneath and between that again with with those three mics like again the tuning of it's important yeah. but yeah yeah um so wait yeah, those are like if i had just an m88 or an md88 it's the m201 and m88 Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, because I, 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 M two hundred one is my go to snare mic, but the idea of M, yeah, and and it's funny. I have two M eighty eights that I don't use that often. So, yeah, put it up. Um, and again, what? I just I don't what? even have them on separate preamp channels. I can just land line the diaphragms up right next to each other, run them through that combiner box. Yeah, and what is that combiner box? Uh. It's the can't even read what it is. It's uh <laughs> Galaxy Audio. Galaxy Audio. It's the JIB C combiner. It's a little black box, but yeah, Galaxy Audio. Okay. And you don't so and, I just run it through that and, and, and signal wise, tone wise, that you don't feel like that does anything bad to your signal. No, I mean again, I just like drum tuning. Right. I, I tend to be very, maybe not unorthodox, but I kind of just roll with it. And there's no, I don't, you know, I'm not considered about, not concerned about necessarily being as clean or doing the right thing all the time. Yeah. So that's probably my downfall. Um, so but with, I think it's amazing. I have the complete spectrum on that that okay, I need. So, so that, is there any um, input gain before that box or how, how, how are you dealing? It comes out as one level that you just control mm-hmm. from your mic free and EQ and everything. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I uh, I run it through, I've got an API channel strip that I run it through. So once it hits the channel strip, um, I can add, you know, the compression yeah. and EQ it and like give it gain boost right. if I need to. But uh, honestly, like what I found is just naturally those two mics being right next to each other mm-hmm. on the snare, um, I mean, there's a little bit to like the angle that I put it at and where it's pointed on there. But basically, like if you put it right on the edge of the like right on the rim, so the diaphragm is over the rim at that just slight angle towards where I'm making impact. Yeah. For me, it's perfect. I've never heard with whatever combo you want to run with a 57 or, you know, some some guys use, you know, uh, different like two snare combos on the top. But it's it's by far the best. Yeah. And you never have a phase issue accidentally with one of them moving or whatever. Is it just kind of taped, locked, locked in? Yeah, yeah. It's I've got I've got them. Uh, I just bought a, a a mount that's got the two mic clips that are just secured, so they're always right next to each other. Okay. And then I'll, I'll show you as long as I don't mess this up again, so you can see where they're at on here. I don't know if you can see, but I put a little. I've oh, got yeah. this actually. This is something I learned from Greg Fiddleman. Okay. Um, we call the the mic bonnet, and you know they're just the diaphragms are lined up right over the rim. I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, yeah. great. 
And what what material materially material is that that cover that thing? Well, you know, I went on uh, yeah went on gear slats, and they said to get this specific Oralux foam, and like there's a covering that you put on it with a audio sensitive tape. Okay. No, it's uh, I went to my back shed and I tore off a piece of foam from some packing stuff, and okay. then covered it in black gaff tape. And secured it to the top with a bike mount, and that's yeah. It's like a high, it's like high impact foam from like a, a road case is what it was from actually. But, but yeah, what, so it's, what type of gaff tape? <laughs> okay, I, I can't. Uh, again, this is a Greg Fillman thing. For this session, don't say. We it. realized. It's, yeah. No, it's, <laughs> Wait, are you this serious? Is funny. Are you serious? Uh, okay. Wow. Gaff tape has changed in the last two years. Yes, I know. I'm totally serious. It's not as good. I, I'm like, I, it's not as good. It doesn't stick as well. Exactly. There's, a, there's a inconsistencies with it. So I have like, right. Oh, you still, you know this. Yeah. It's crazy, right. I just bought a big roll of red because yeah. I always try to buy an odd color. So if I take it with me, I know it's mine. And I'm just like, it doesn't stick. Doesn't stick. No. I know. So I hold on to my vintage gaff tape like, like nobody's business. It's crazy that it's, that's so funny that you noticed that. I love that vintage gaff tape, man. This is a right? thing now. Wow, it is a thing, dude. Wow, you know, here's the thing, man. This is the thing I love about this. We go from talking about like Wisconsin and studios in Wisconsin to vintage gaff tape, and it's like it all comes first full circle, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> this is it, the Blair Cinto. Podcast vintage gaff tape. You heard it here first, everybody. That's right. Well, you coined it. I'm going to give it to you, vintage gaff tape. But I'm going to run with it. <laughs> but it's now. a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. I'm going to put vintage thing. gaff tape on the blockchain so it's fucking mine, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And, um, and, and, okay, so I'm going to just go one nerdy further. Did you ask Henson where you could get the um the thing in the back so it feels like Henson B? the the uh i did yeah <laughs> i did that's where i got it from that's exactly you, i told you, you like get one from them no i no i didn't no don't have far yellow come she'll oh. come after me if she oh, okay thinks right I took one of the one of their tapestries no but, but I you asked them where they got them from. right okay yeah i was like where do you where do you guys order your tapestries from yeah yeah and then i then i saw guys start then all around town guys have the tapestries up behind their drums i'm like Stealing from Henson. I knew it. No. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it. I yeah. would never I would never do something like that. So I don't know. You know. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. No. This is I mean, yeah, nobody ever nobody ever Yeah. Would do something like that. I didn't say anything, yeah. No. This is definitely the YouTube episode. If anybody's only podcasting this, this one's worth it for them. Oh yeah, definitely. There's lots of visuals that we're not explaining. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good stuff, dude. Well, shit, man. Unless you got some other brilliant dimes to drop, I I, I think we're good here. You know. I, yeah. I could talk to you for hours. I know. I was like in my mind coming in. I'm like, we're gonna be real precise and like get down to business and only talk about like really serious things. And that's. Uh, been a blast talking about everything else i love it yeah the only thing i didn't lay on you and i was you know I, what's why i had like this thing made of, of of martini because the more i drink the uh the more my my wisconsin accent comes out uh so that was the only thing i had to drop on you was my heavy wisconsin midwest accent i, I you just gave me an idea though maybe the kind of b-roll where we actually get together and i come over and we actually drink martinis and record it and we just yeah and like it could be like instead of drunk history yeah it's drunk drummers exactly drunk drumming just, drunk drunk recording drum podcast and that not only that what we're going to do is we're going to play first to a click so everybody can hear the click and then deep into it we're also we're going to go back and see which one is better you know later on yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. The Drunk Drummer Podcast. The Drunk Drummer Drum Off Podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Who's in? Dude, gold. I'm gonna take gold. on some I'm gonna take on some gospel choppers, man, and see, you know. <laughs> see oh, right. better. Yeah, see how much you can mess them up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, 
I'm guessing it's all ingrained, so it won't matter. But, you know, you never know, man. You know? You never know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, awesome. dude, I hope we hang soon. It's been a, it's been a while. We'll have to go to Viet again one of these one of these years. Yeah. 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 We live so close. It's a shame I don't see him more. But, <sighs> man, everything you do is amazing. It's so cool watching it. You like, know? Likewise, so. dude. I mean, I'm always keeping tabs on you on the on the socials, you know. So, yeah. Cool, yeah. man. All right, dude. Well, have a great day. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you soon, bud. All right, Zach. Take care, dude.